The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Super Speed Golf. Now here's your host... Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and happy Election Day 2018, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and, and first of all, I hope all of you went out and cast your vote today. Always be sure to be a part of the democratic process. Never think your vote doesn't matter, because all of our votes really do. I want to thank you again for being here tonight and making us a part of your golfing content again this week. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. It's great having you. We appreciate you checking us out very much. And tonight we're going to have a lot of fun because I have two great guests that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. My first guest tonight is going to be Master Kids instructor Michelle Holmes. Michelle is from Western Ireland. She is a multi-time Irish juniors champion. So she knows exactly what junior golfers need instruction-wise and emotionally from their parents in order to have fun and play well. I look forward to talking about that. Plus, she recently took a trip to Kenya, which uh, I'm also looking forward to hearing all about as well. So a lot to get into when Michelle joins me. She'll be along here in just a few minutes. Following her, I'm going to get a return visit from top golf course designer Bill Bergen. And Bill is always fantastic. He is currently putting the finishing touches on a course just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, that he co-designed with Reese Jones. We had Reese on a couple of months ago talking about the course. It's called the McLemore, which is up on Lookout Mountain, and it looks absolutely spectacular. Go online and check it out for yourself at themclemore.com. We'll talk about that project and what else he has coming up. Plus, he's an Auburn alumni, so we'll talk about their golf team, which just won the Eastlake Cup match uh, play event here in Atlanta. I'll probably sneak in a couple of football questions as well. Bill will join me a little bit later on in this half hour. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour. But before we get started, I want to remind you about our good friend Mitchell Lawrence and his great golf show that marries golf and travel. It is called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audio Boom or really anywhere you consume podcasts. He and his co-host Darren Bunch travel all over the world and they let you know great places to play, stay, and even eat while you're there. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways and you can stream it online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audio Boom. His twin brother, Matthew, and his uh, show, Backspin Golf, is on hiatus now for a while, which you guys know I'm not happy about at all. Matthew has destroyed my Sunday mornings now. But to his credit, he did call me last Sunday at 8.04 a.m. Eastern Time. I told him, look, 
if you're going to go off the air for a few months, you got to call me. We got to talk golf on Sunday mornings until the show comes back on. And lo and behold, he did. I encourage you to go online to WLXG.com and check out his archive shows as a podcast because, again, the show is really great. Again, it's called Backspin Golf, and you can stream it. You can stream his shows from this season as a podcast on WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. And, folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonero about what they've got going on up there. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place it is and to book your stay as well. Also want to give a shout out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. And folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor. Get a demo iron of either their Fort Worth, PTX, or new Edge irons. And go out on the range and compare them to whatever you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can custom order irons, wedges, hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. They're going to build those clubs to your specifications and, best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories at BenHoganGolf.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. Their fall collection is out, and now is the perfect opportunity to change things up layer upon layer. They make style easy. Find carefully coordinated outfits in a variety of colors and options. The Bobby Jones brand delivers excellence as genuine as the legend himself with their collection of golf performance and lifestyle apparel for both men and women. See it online by going to bobbyjones.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And folks, in appreciation of the men and women who have served or are currently serving our country, PGA Tour Superstore, the area's leading golf and tennis retailer, is going to be offering a 25% discount on purchases from November 7th through the 11th in honor of Veterans Day. The military discount applies in stores only, and guests must present a valid military ID and some uh, some restrictions to apply. All right, now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Michelle Holmes. Let me give you a little more background on Michelle. She is from Mayo, Ireland, which is in the central west coast of Ireland. She started playing golf at the age of 10. At St. Mary's Secondary School, she finished first in the All-Ireland School singles and second in the All-Ireland School's doubles matches. She won two All-Ireland titles and seven provincial titles as well in the under-18 age bracket. She was selected to play for both her provincial and the Ireland under-18 teams. She got a scholarship to play her college golf here in the States at Campbell University. In 2001 and 2002, in that season, she was named to the All-Atlantic Sun All-Freshman Team. In the 2003-2004 year, she earned a spot in the Atlantic Sun All-Academic Team and finished tied for 16th 
at the Atlantic Sun Championship. And she helped the Lady Camels win the Atlantic Sun title that year by 26 strokes, strokes, folks. So now she is an LPGA teaching professional, a master U.S. kids instructor, and I'm thrilled to have her with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Michelle, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So, Michelle, like I mentioned a moment ago, I, I read that you started playing golf at the age of 10 with your father. So help me understand, what got you so interested in the game of golf and taking it up at such a young age? So my dad and my um, granddad and my granduncles used to play, and then my dad used to take me to the driving range on Friday evening. And I wasn't completely sold on the whole golf thing, but what I was sold on was um the little contest they used to have at the driving range and um, I used to win movie theater tickets every Friday night and then my mom would let me take my friends to the movies on Saturday so that was kind of what sparked my interest at the beginning I wanted those movie theater tickets and essentially I kind of fell in love with the game after that. And Michelle I also read your sister Laura was a really good junior player as well so Talk about playing, you know, yep. with your sister, and, and, and did you guys have a sibling rivalry, or did you just like, you know, like playing the game together? Uh, no, we just like playing the game together. There's six years between us, so um, I think the age gap was big enough that it really wasn't a rivalry. Um, she had a very good junior career, and then she followed me over here to America. Um, I played at Campbell University, and right when I graduated from Campbell, I decided to move to Virginia, and she was looking at colleges. At the time, so she decided to pick a college in Virginia, and she played for Old Dominion University. Um, she had a great four-year four career there, and then she came. And she's, we were teaching together now, so she actually has my second, the second location of the Michelle Home School of Golf. So she's got a p pretty big program going down there herself. And Michelle, as you know, we see here in the States, when we're watching the Open Championship every year, we, we know that the weather over there is always a factor. And as they say, you can see all four seasons in a day. So I was curious, when, when you were growing up and playing in juniors mm -hmm. tournaments, what's the worst weather conditions you ever had to go out and play in? And um, probably actually the last um, the last national title I won. I actually won the Connick Ladies Championship and I remember the weather was so bad. I think I went through something like 11 gloves in the final round of it and I actually, I think I won the match on the 16th so we didn't even play a full round and I think we went through 11 gloves in that, in that round. Wow. Yeah, I've become so Americanized now. So when I go home now, you know, in the mornings, dad will come into my bedroom and he'll be like, Michelle, you want to go play golf? And I'll just hear the rain beating the window. And I'm like, dad, just leave me alone. Um, so he always gives me um, grief for being too Americanized now. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, to that point, based on the things that you grew up having to play in, the, in those conditions, when, when players over here complain, whether it's too windy or maybe it's drizzling a little bit, do you laugh at them? How do you deal with people that don't want to get out if it's not just absolutely perfect weather? Uh, yeah, you do see that here a lot. And I remember um, I went home a couple of years ago and they had a junior tournament and the weather was really bad. And I was convinced, this, you know, the, this tournament has got to be canceled today. And the organizers were looking at me like, no, the kids are going to play. And I was thinking if this was in America, you would be done for child cruelty or something. You know, <laughs> so it's just a... Uh, it's a different world, but that's all they have over there. That's what you grew up with. And, um, you know, it's, 
kind of going forward a bit, I thought, I remember when I came to America, I used to think, you know, all these American girls, they really have these great golf swings, and but they just didn't know how to play the game as well as, let's say, I thought the Europe, European players did. Um, and what I mean by that is I felt like the European players were able to scramble better. They played, played in more elements. So they were just able to get the ball in the hole just that little bit better, I thought. So it was interesting that I saw that as soon as I came to America. And Michelle, I, I have to believe that maybe European players are more mentally tough than maybe we are yeah. here because you've got to block all of those things out and focus on the job at hand. Talk about teaching kids. How, how do you block that stuff out when you have to deal with all of those conditions? Well, my kids, my kids here have kind of gotten used to the fact that I'm going to make them play in rain. And it's funny, um, you know, even at our local tour, like I run the local U.S. kids tour, and you know, if it's a rainy day, I'm going to make them play. They know I'm not canceling. And sometimes they'll complain about it, but years later, they'll have a big tournament they have to play in, and they'll come back and say, you know what, thank you. All those days you made us go out there and practice and play in the rain, we're grateful for it now. So, Michelle, I got to ask, you know, uh, uh, how does a girl from the west coast of Ireland end up playing her college golf at Campbell University in North Carolina? Um, I, you know what? I actually still don't really know, but um, I got offered <laughs> a scholarship to play at Campbell, and I had never been to America before. And back then, recruiting trips really weren't the big thing. Like, there was no such thing as coming across on a recruiting trip. Um, so when I got to North Carolina, I really thought I was going to New York City. I mean, that's all I had ever seen on TV. So when I landed in the boondocks of North Carolina, I got the biggest culture shock of my life. I called my parents that night and I was like, where have you sent me? <laughs> so it was a big culture shock, but I absolutely loved my four years at Campbell. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world, but it really was a shock at the time. Yeah, so talk I don't about know the decision to come here. So the decision to come here and... Well, I'm a bit of a free spirit, so I jumped on that right away. I can't remember how the scholarship offer came about, but as soon as as soon as that offer came, I was like, I'm going. There was there was, there was no no uh, turning back with that. And um, so I, my parents just sent me off on an airplane. I had two suitcases. My coach picked me up at Campbell, and off I went. I figured life out from there. So how was the adjustment coming from Ireland to come here? All of a sudden, you're in a you know a different country. You don't know anybody outside of a couple of times, probably meeting your coach. Talk about assimilating in and and sort of making North Carolina now your your second home. So yeah, it was um, my roommate. She was from Lumberton, North Carolina, so she had the biggest redneck accent. And when she met me, when she walked in, she asked me. I spoke to her, and she said, "I'm really sorry, but do you speak English?" So that was a tough start. I hadn't a clue what she was saying, and she hadn't a clue what I was saying. We ended up being the best of friends. Um, we actually ended up being roommates for three years, so um, it was fine. But no, as far as Campbell University goes, I mean, it's a, it's a small school, a, a huge golf program, a really good golf program. Um, it has a big international student base. I think my senior year, I think we had, I think, 11 girls on the team, and only one was American. So, um Again, international students tend to follow each other. You know, you, you just kind of tend to follow your own, I guess. So we, we met it like home. So, Tiger, what, what was your favorite memory from the tournaments in your time being there at Campbell? My favorite memory, um, let me see. I used to always love the trip to Kiowa Island. So I loved uh, Kiowa. And, um, of course, my favorite memories are probably just the wins with the girls. 
Um, you know, we won the ACC championship a couple of times, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's there. There are just times that there were that you know. I always say, if you can play college golf, they're the best four years of your life. Michelle, now when you're working with junior golfers, you know, when I when I look at and my son's a junior golfer, when I look at kids his age, he's in he's in high school, and kids even younger than that, you know, such a short attention span kids have now, and it's more about instant gratification and all of those sorts of things. How do you keep your junior golfers engaged and, and you know, wanting to come back and wanting to practice and having fun with the game? Yeah, um, I think one of the biggest, of course, of course, you got to make it fun. So, you know, we follow the U.S. kids model of um, teaching through games, you know, from an early age. And we teach as much as we can on the golf course. We find the kids, you know, much prefer that. But I think the biggest reason our program has been such success is one of the things we do is you know everyone takes private lessons and then we also have group practices every week so you know we have a huge amount of juniors so I can really hand hand pick those practices so let's say at 4 30 on a Monday I might have a group of girls in that are between the age of 10 and 11 there'll be six girls in the group and those girls are about the, they're the same age they're about the same level and they're going to practice week in week out at 4 30 together on a Monday and I just feel like that's a huge part of why my program has been successful is that they're coming back they're playing with their friends every week and they're playing with people who are about the same ability or a little bit better than them and that just helps push them I guess you know I think the biggest thing I guess what I'm trying to say is that I really think we've created it's not just a golf lesson we've really created a family in our program so with kids that are age 10 and 11, now you've got the winter coming up. Mm-hmm. How do you keep them to want to come back and want to get back into the game of golf? And for all of us that are trying to keep the rust off our swings, I imagine kids that are 10, 11 years old, how do you keep them engaged over the wintertime? We are very lucky in that we have our own indoor facility. Um, so we are we just actually moved indoors. So we have an indoor facility about 10 minutes away from the golf course that we're at year-round. And that indoor facility has two simulators and some hitting nets. And upstairs, we've got one big, like, short game area. So the kids are loving the indoor facility. Obviously, gets them out of the cold, and it lets them train through the winter. And we feel like then, you know, especially the competitive kids, they're hitting the ground running in the springtime when it comes tournament time. So we found that our tournament results in spring have been much better over the last couple of years since we've, you know, since we've opened up that indoor facility. So they're really enjoying that. And Michelle, you tweeted out a great piece of advice for parents, not only for junior golfers, but just children athletes in general. And what you said was the greatest gift you can give your child athlete is the freedom to play without fear. Be the calm in their game. Don't be the chaos. Talk about what you meant Mm -hmm. by that. Um, I mean, you just see so many kids. You know, I was at a big tournament recently, um, and I actually said to another coach, I said, I've, I've, I've rolled around the golf course, and I've watched a lot of players, and I said, I feel like I've seen one kid today play without any kind of fear. And, you know, that, that's just a really sad case to me. So I really try and work on that with our, with our kids and parents in that you have, I mean, to be able to play this game, you have to have a clear mind. So I'm always begging my parents and, and, and caddies play the game. When they turn up on a, on a given day, just let them go play golf. Let the result be the result. Let's deal with that tomorrow, but let them play golf with a free mind. 
you know, I don't want them out there thinking, oh, what's mom going to say or what's dad going to say or what's my coach going to say? So that's the question, right? Where does that fear come from? Is that stuff that parents, that we as parents instill in the child? Is that trying to live up to what our expectations are? How do we turn that fear off? Uh, well, it's probably, well, probably a lot of different things. Probably a lot of it is just um, probably parents, you know, living through their kids a little bit um, or just, you know, wanting it too badly for their kids. Like, I think, you know, the biggest thing I see is, you know, parents really want it for their kids and they think that winning is going to make their child really happy. But really, I mean, if I was to line up my 10 best golfers and ask them what's the most important thing to them about golf, I guarantee not one of them would say anything about winning. They would say um, playing golf with my family or playing golf with my friends or, you know, just having fun with it. But I think that what a parent thinks the child needs and what the child actually wants, I think, are two different things. So we've got we've to be very clear on that. So have you ever had to pull a parent aside and, and try to level set their expectations so that the game could remain fun for one of your students? All the time. And I have absolutely no problem doing it when my parents know that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm here for the kids. And so I have no problem speaking up on that kind of on that kind of matter. And I do firmly believe that no matter how talented your child is, they have to really love this game. You know, you need to think about it. Even the best players on tour, even if you get to tour level, and not many people have the chance to do that, but even if you get to tour level, you have to really love this game to want to stand out on that driving range and practice for 12 hours a day like you would have to if you were at a tour level. So, you know, no matter how far you can push your child, at some point they've got to take it on their own and they're going to have to really love it to want to be able to push it to that next level. Even if it's college, I mean, you think about college golf, you're practicing four or five hours a day. You've got to really love this game to want to do that. So if you had students come to you and, you know, hey, lesson's over, that sort of thing. No, I want to stay. I want to do more. Help me with this. Show me that. Do you have students that are reaching out and that proactive because you can start to feel that they're starting to have a budding love for the game? Oh, definitely. I mean, we, to be honest, we see that every day. You know, people always ask me, how do you create such great golfers? I and mean, we've had a lot of good golfers come out of our program. And, you know, I really say, you know, it goes back to my mission. My mission is not to create a great golfer. My mission is to create experiences that encourage kids to play the game forever. And I think by creating those experiences and, of course, giving them good, you know, fundamentals, the kids, by creating those experiences, the kids just want to come back every single day. I mean, they're running in to see us. And, you know, when they want to come back every day and they're practicing every day, then all of a sudden we got some good golfers on our hands. Michelle, what's the nicest thing one of your students has ever said to you? What's the nicest thing? Actually, the first thing that comes to mind is one of my little girls asked me to come to her Christmas and recital this past Christmas and when I and you know I've gone to plenty of things like basketball games and Christmas concerts and whatever else but when I got there and her grandmother had said how Hannah earlier that day had said um Michelle is just like family to me and that just kind of stuck because I mean she it's her she only has her immediate family here in the area and I was just so touched that she thought of me as you know, that person that she wanted to invite to that recital. So that really, that really stood with me. No doubt. That's fantastic. 
we deal with a lot of you know nice kids and nice families so um you know just going to work every day I, I feel like the luckiest girl in the world so it's um it's, it's been a fun journey with these kids michelle just a couple more before we let you go and you recently took a trip over to kenya talk about what it was like and uh, what made you decide to go over there so Kenya was an amazing experience. Um, I learned so much about life while I was over there. Um, so um, myself and Zoe Allen went. Zoe is a good friend of mine. She's a pro in in Northern Ireland. Um, and we have a good friend in Manu Cassio. And he has a program over in Kenya. And just for a number of years now, we've kind of been saying to Emmanuel, yeah, we're going to come over. And then so I finally said to Zoe, I said, come on, we got to do it. So um, we booked to go over. We were over there mid-October. And we were over there for two weeks. And we got to go into some um, council schools. And I guess you could say just help a lot of underprivileged kids. And, just, and not even, I mean, we did teach them golf, but... What I realized at the end of every day, it wasn't really the golf we taught them. It was just this time we got to spend with them. And um, it was just, it was a big eye opener for me. It was a big life lesson for me. They have very little over there and they're so happy. And, you know, just even the kids, there was times where I had, you know, we had 50 to 60 kids in front of us and we couldn't even put golf equipment in their hands. They were just so eager and happy even just to, you know, swing with no equipment or no golf balls. You know, that was that was just a big eye opener to me. Had any of them ever played golf or knew what golf was? And we did we did deal with some kids who had and and I know Kenya just had I think three or four kids last year at the World Championships and we did see some of those kids over there. So that was lovely. And but as far as the council schools we went into the underprivileged kids and most of them had never played golf before. They maybe had played, you know, with Emmanuel and his program, but I'm not sure how often he gets to go in and see each school, but no, very little. But um, we did see some good golf swings and, um, you know, it was just amazing just to see how happy they were and just so eager to learn. That was, that's what just stood out to me. They were just so excited and eager to learn. So, Michelle, what's what's up next for you? What's going on with you over this winter? Um, hopefully this improving everyone's golf game. Let me see. if I anything else going on? I'm going to go to the PGA show in January, so I love that show. And um, we just, I, I know you know, we just lost um, our home base golf course. So I'm going to be busy over the next month or so checking out all the other facilities in the area and trying to decide, you know, what facility we would like to go to and who would like to have us bring our program to their course. So we've got some figuring out to do. But we'll be at the indoor facility for the winter, so that's fine. We'll be there until about March, but we just need to find a, a new home course for the kids um, come springtime. Yeah, and your course just closed out of nowhere, right? Out One day nowhere, it, we, yeah. everything yeah. was there, and the next day it was closed. Yeah. So we have been hearing rumors for a while, but to be honest, the rumors have been going on for so long that they kind of faded away again. And uh, But then just, yeah, last Sunday I was running a U.S. Kids golf tournament at the course and I just finished the last presentation of the day and then we got word from the pro shop that hey this is going to be our last day so it was quite a shock I actually still think I'm in shock I don't think it has hit me yet but I'm staying positive and I feel like we will find a new spot and and all will be good Michelle before we let you go let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing whether it's online or it's on social media Okay, so we um, we do a lot on social media, and we have an Instagram page. It's called Michelle Holmes Golf. 
and um, we have a Twitter page. It's the handle is M Holmes Golf, and then we do a lot on Facebook as well. Our Facebook page is Michelle Homeschooler Golf. Questions or any parents want to reach out, I'd be glad to chat. Michelle, it's been great spending some time with you and having you as part of the show tonight. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Love to hear about all the fun things that you've got going on and talk more junior golf and hear how things are going over the winter. You've been fantastic. Thank you for having me. Take care, Michelle. All the best to you and your family. Okay, bye-bye. That is Michelle Holmes. And, um, wow, talk about some great things. First of all, that lesson for parents, oh, by the way, you know, be the calm in their game. Don't be the chaos. I love that quote. I got that written down. And uh, so many great things that she is doing for junior golf up in that Virginia area. Please go check her out. Give her a follow online and on social media as well. Before I get to my next guest, Bill Bergen, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors. First, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at Super Speed Golf. Now used by over half of the tour players around the world, Super Speed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute training sessions per week are all you need to see a 5% increase in your swing speed. And with sets now for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction, Super Speed offers a complete solution that's going to help you start bombing it off the tee. Visit them online at superspeedgolf.com to pick up your set today. Also want to let you know, in honor of Veterans Day, Golf Tech is supporting PGA Reach, the charitable foundation of the PGA of America, by offering one complimentary lesson or tech fit fitting session to anyone who makes a small donation to PGA Hope, which is the flagship military engagement program of PGA Reach. And PGA HOPE, and HOPE stands for Helping Our Patriots Everywhere. It's a free adaptive golf program that introduces golf to veterans with disabilities to enhance their physical, mental, social, and emotional well-being. The offer is redeemable at participating golf tech locations around the country between November 5th and November 11th. And also let me remind you about my M4 driver from TaylorMade. Folks, if you haven't tried TaylorMade's twist face technology, you're missing out. I don't know about you, but I don't hit it in the center of the face every single time. After studying hundreds of thousands of swings from pros and amateurs like us, TaylorMade designed their new driver to help protect us from our miss hits and give us straighter distance. So whether your miss is on the low heel or the high toe, Twist Face helps bring the ball back to center, keeping the distance we want and finding the fairway more often. The new drivers are also the choice of some pretty good golfers you might have heard of. Twist Face is played by Tiger Woods. Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, John Rahm, and Justin Rose, to name just a few, and dominating the top 10 out on tour. So if you haven't tried Twistface, go hit it and get fit. It's in the new M3 and M4 drivers and only from TaylorMade. All right, now back with me and making his fifth appearance on the French Lick Resort guest line is Bill Bergen. Let me remind you about Bill's background. Played his college golf at Auburn University from 1978 to 1981, and he was named First team, all SEC every year, and he helped Auburn win the 1981 SEC championship. His 65 at the 1979 Pan American Tournament still ranks as one of the lowest 18-hole scores in Auburn golf history. He's played in over 250 professional tournaments worldwide, including three U.S. Opens, two Open Championships, and over 50 PGA Tour events. He's now recognized as one of the top golf course designers around the world, and he started his own design company called Bergen Golf Designs. And he has designed or redesigned courses all across the country and around the world. 
He's been involved in over 70 golf course design projects highlighted by his completed courses at places like the Chattanooga Golf and Country Club, which is a Donald Ross design course along the Tennessee River that Phil helped restore. He recently redesigned Minnesota Valley Country Club, which is a Seth Reiner design. Seth Reiner design. He and Reese Jones have collaborated on the McLemore Golf Club just outside of Chattanooga, and he's got several other projects in the works. You can see his works by going online to his site, bergengolf.com, and I'm excited he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bill, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. Uh, I'm glad to be here, and I have got to give a shout-out to Michelle. I'm a big fan of hers, and uh, she does some some wonderful things, and she's also been a big advocate of the Longleaf Tea System, so it's good to see that she and I were on the same, same show today. I appreciate that. So, Bill, i got to start by getting your thoughts on your Auburn Tigers. First, on the football side, I'm sure this hasn't been the season you and Auburn fans were hoping for, but still got an opportunity to impact the national championship hopes for both Georgia and Alabama. So how do you feel about Auburn for the rest of the season? You know, we could probably talk about that for the rest of the segment, but, um, you know, we have we had we have such potential, um, but yet you just never know what you're going to get. It was great to see that last drive on um, Saturday. The la- really the last couple minutes of that game were amazing for our quarterback and for our team. That was the first really come from behind victory we've had in a long time. So um, I know that that what we did last year was pretty miraculous, beating Georgia and Alabama. In fact. We were the team that beat the, the two teams that played in the national championship game. So that was a a um, moral victory for Auburn last year. But, um, yeah, this season's been a little bit disappointing, but it's always fun. Game day down at Auburn University is a special thing. If, you, if you've never been down there, it is an amazing, amazing place. I wish I got the chance to go more often. So on a maybe on a happier side, the Auburn golf uh, men's golf team just won the East Lake Cup, defeating Alabama. Oh, by the way, to win it, they're uh, ranked 15th in the poll that came out most recently on October the 30th. So, talk about Auburn golf and how you feel about where the program's at. Absolutely, and the women's team just won a tournament this week. So I'm not actually sure which tournament it was. I think it was in Texas, maybe, but they won a tournament as well. So uh, really, a great two weeks for the Auburn golf program. Um, we have excellent coaches, and that's really where things start. I mean, uh, Nick Kleinard and, and uh, Melissa Llewellyn have done a fantastic job with our with our teams. I am fortunate to um, be involved with things down there. We just built a, a new practice green to add to our – we have a 22-acre practice facility at Auburn for the golf teams. It's, it's incredible. Wow. Big, big driving range, you know, with both ends, obviously. That That's the easy part. And then we have – eight acres on the far side which has four greens and they're usga spec greens where you can really do anything from 200 yards down to you know to chip shots so they are able to recreate situational practice anything they need to do they're able to do that but one thing we were was an all bermuda grass golf course and as you know these college teams are traveling all over the country now and so the coaches wanted a bent grass green and so we built a new one this year uh, in a really good environment, Auburn's hot down there, and so to grow bent grass, you need to you need great sunlight and great air circulation. And so we built it up on top of an old range tee, and it's a nice almost 8,000 square foot green with the AU Victory bent grass, which is developed at Auburn, and it is more heat tolerant. And uh, it's kind of fun to be able to use our own grass on this facility and and just offer the teams another way of preparing for the the championships that they play in and so you know last year they they were 
semifinalists, I believe, at the um, at the NCAA championship out at Oklahoma State, and they played at Carson Creek, which was a bent grass golf course. Well, we don't get to putt on bent grass all the time, and so now this green is about to open this month. Uh, they'll be able to prepare more, and and they've really got everything you could ever you could ask for as far as a college golf program goes. So it's a it's a terrific place, and um, the young men and women that play out of that facility are really fortunate. Bill, I want to talk a, a little bit about some of your uh, most recent work, and I've seen several pictures of the Macklemore course that you and Reese Jones have co-designed. It absolutely looks spectacular. Catch us up on how that project is coming. Yeah, Macklemore is a resort second home community up on Lookout Mountain, and Lookout Mountain is basically a ridge line that runs south of Chattanooga. And it sits at 2,000 feet above sea level. Actually, we have we have spots on the course at about 2,200 feet. Well, Chattanooga is more like 600 feet, so that lets you know that elevation is, is significant. And it gives us these incredible views over Macklemore Cove, which is where our name is derived from. And it's a it's a mountain resort type property, so it's rugged with lots of rock. It's got bent grass greens. It's got you know, Bermuda fairways, but a lot of a lot of cool season native grasses, and it's just in this place where you feel like you've you've left wherever your home was and gone on vacation. It just has that feel. It's it's a getaway place. We have plans for a Hilton hotel of their Curio collection that's going to sit right on the ridge, looking out over Macklemore Cove. And then our golf course just winds through this property through an area that we call the Canyon area. And then up on Highlands, which, you know, is obviously a, a playoff of, of the Scottish Scottish term. And then we've got cliff holes. Our first hole and our seventh and our eighteenth hole are right on the cliff. And um I'm not a person who is a big fan of heights and our eighteenth green literally ten ten yards left of our eighteenth green, it drops about a thousand feet. So it's it's oh pretty dramatic and, and, and an incredible an incredible site with tons of beauty, and what we've added to it, we think is just great golf. And we've it was it's a renovation, um, so 17 holes occupy the same ground, although we've pushed and pulled like we always do. But we rebuilt all the greens complexes, so the the shots around the greens are completely new. Um, tremendous diversity in, in short game opportunities. We've expanded greens complexes to make make the complex play larger but not necessarily the putting surface. And so um, that's something that I look at on all my all my designs. I like the golf course to actually play good, but yet we want to preserve par. We still want a challenging golf course. So, so you know, the closer you get to the hole, maybe possibly the more difficult it is, but we give you plenty of room to feel like, you you know, the golf course is fair and fun. So definitely have done that at Macklemore and, and really done a great job. You know, you've seen my bunkering and and we take a lot of pride in that, but we've got just beautiful bunkering, uh, interesting shots around the greens, and 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 every hole is diverse. And, and in fact, it's one of those courses where you will remember all the golf holes because no two are alike, and and and, it, and they really, uh, really just stand out. So it, it's been a really exciting project. We're almost finished, other than building that 18th hole, and its green is planted and, and growing in. But we're still building the 18th, um, and it sits literally along along a ridge line, right on the edge of a cliff. And, and there's just not many many sites like that, um, certainly in the southeast. So we're we're really excited about opening that. When do you anticipate the course being open? 
I would think about May 1st. So it'll be in the spring. Um, and, and literally, um, other than the 18th hole, we'll be certainly ready to go. It will be the one that, that um, determines when we do open. And we're still building it. I'm, I'm heading up there tomorrow. Um, and we're, we're shaping the fairway, building tees, getting ready to put irrigation in, but we've still got a little bit of rock we've got to get out of the way. This is a, a rocky site. If you've ever been on Lookout Mountain, it's a tremendous area and you literally have homes intermingled with giant boulders. And I'm talking boulders that are as big as the house. And you'll, you'll have a house just fits right in there with the boulders. Our golf course is a bit like that. And so it's, it's an incredible place. I mean, Things that people do up there that they cycle, they hang glide, they rock climb, they hike. Um, there's a lot to do in the area uh, besides playing golf, but we won't want to make the golf the main attraction on this site. So with that project uh, wrapping up a bit, what are some of the other projects you're currently working on? Yeah, so we're our, we're loaded up for the next couple of years, really, although we're, we're always looking for new things, but we're, but we're really... Um, Loaded for the next couple of years. We've got three jobs up in the mountains. We're doing Big Canoe, which is a 27-hole uh, community north of Atlanta in the mountains with, with a couple big lakes. And then we're working up in Highlands, which is um, one of the highest areas in the southeast. Highlands, North Carolina, sits at about 4,100 feet above sea level. So when it's 90 degrees in Atlanta, it's 72 degrees up there with no humidity. And it is remarkable. It is such a, a beautiful place. And we're working, of course, called Highlands Falls there. And then as you continue north up into North Carolina in the mountains, we're working in a place called, in a town called Roaring Gap and at, at a course called High Meadows. So those are three mountain courses, you know, that we're, that are all in our, on our books right now. And then we've got a beach course down at Santa Rosa Beach. And so, um, those are four of the projects that we're, we're actively working on at the moment. And, and they're all sort of that, uh, second home or getaway um, resort type facilities. So um, some that, that certainly people who are listening can go play. So that's exciting as well. So I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to get your thoughts on some things going on around the game of golf and out on the tours. And we continue to see guys on the PGA Tour sort of bomb and drives, you know, 350 plus yards on a, on a semi-regular basis. And they bomb it as far as they can off the tee because the fairways are so wide and the rough isn't all that high. And regardless of where the ball lands, they'll be able to gouge it out, get it in your know, short iron, get it up on the green. And we saw how different the game is over in Europe at the Ryder Cup when the emphasis was more on driving accuracy. And our guys seem to struggle a bit because they're used to just hitting it all over the place. And over there, they couldn't get away with it. So I was curious to get your thought as a designer. Is that is that what we're going to have to do with the uh, golf courses over here since we can hit it as far and, you know, they're not going to put the toothpaste back in the tube with the golf ball and stuff like that. At least I can't imagine they are or go by, go to bifurcation. So we're going to have to do some things with the golf courses like narrow the fairways, grow up the rough and that sort of thing to keep the game and a lot of the golf courses around the country relevant. You know, that's a, a great question, and I've thought a lot about it. Um, one of the things that um, you and I have talked about before that's um, a characteristic of our design work is our course ratings are, are actually quite difficult, and our slope ratings on our courses are modest. And what that means is for the average golfer, our courses are very playable, but for the better golfer, they're actually harder. And so we have a certain philosophy about the way we set up golf courses that I think would translate to the tour, although don't don't let me go too far down this road because I don't want to under, underestimate 
their abilities. I was fortunate to play in 50 PGA Tour events, but I would tell you that that was in the 80s, and today they play a different game. They hit it so far, it's just almost beyond what I can fathom. And the launch angles that they hit the ball, you look at it and you go, well, that, you know, back in the day we considered that ball skied, and they've just flown it 330 yards at a trajectory that, I, that is really hard to imagine. So, um, you know, adjusting the golf course for less, you know, it, it's so much less than 1% really doesn't make a lot of sense. I think it's probably a, a bigger conversation piece than something that we need to worry about because there just aren't that many players that play at that level. For the most golfers, I mean, we're building golf courses that are quite honestly much shorter. We're adding forward tees on every golf course that we do, and we do add length when we can. But what I've always found is I, I search for yardage diversity more than I search for a 74, 7,500-yard golf course. I want a great mix. I want some short holes. I want some good long holes and, and stuff in between. And if you get that balance, you know, I think you've got the best golf course. It's going to be really interesting to see how Pebble Beach plays because that course is probably just under 6,900 yards, which in today's world is really short. But the different thing at Pebble Beach that we haven't seen in a little while is the average green size is 4,000 square feet. So those are small targets. Those are really small targets. So players are not going to want to be in bad position. And, and the U.S. Open will probably grow a little bit more traditional rough next year. Um, I was fortunate to play in the U.S. Open at Pebble in 1982. So I can't wait to watch it this summer and see how the game has changed and see how the golf course is set up and see how the players adapt to it. It's going to be really, really exciting. So, Bill, as you mentioned hole diversity, I was curious, when when you're doing an original course design and you've got a raw piece of property to work with, how do you determine how the course is going to be laid out? You know, length of holes, this one's going to be straight, this one is going to be a dog leg left, or this is going to be a dog leg right? When you're laying that whole thing out, how do you go about determining how that's going to, you know, what that formation is going to look like? Yeah, so it's interesting. We start, in fact, I'm working on a new project up in, in Tennessee. It's not a full golf course, but it's a, it's a pretty cool golf amenity project. And, and I'm, you start out with a topo. And the topo tells you where your good green sites are. And the topo tells you where your angles are and, and you know, which direction you're going. And it's literally built, designing a new golf course is literally a 20-piece puzzle. You've got 18 holes. You've got practice facilities. You've got clubhouse that you have to concern yourself with, and you may have a real estate component as well. But those 20 pieces of, pu that 20 piece puzzle, we literally take templates, which are little, you know, holes that are on a hinge that we lay on this, on the topo, and we start playing with them just like you would with a puzzle. And you start, and, and the funny thing is the land designs the golf course. The architect's job is to discover it. And, you know, if you have the right property, that's a pretty easy thing. If you have a tougher property, it can be quite challenging. And we may do, you know, five to ten different routings when we're looking at a new golf course, just trying to fit the land. But some of those holes just keep showing up. I mean, you just go, that is such a good green complex in that area. I'm going to keep that, and I'm going to work around it. And then I look at, you know, again, diversity. I'd love to design, you know, and we have a, a bunch of them, but a bunch of parts, you know, one par three on each course that's 130 to 150 yards, a short one. You know, and then I want one that's 230, 240 these days, okay, where you actually put 
a four iron in a tour player's hand. You know, it used to be a three wood from that distance, but but put a four iron in, in their hand and then get two middle middle par threes and you may have one with water. And, you know, it's funny, a frontal hazard never bothers a good player. The side hazards do. So if you're going to have a water hazard, you don't want it out in front. You really want it on the side. That's what gets tour, gets tour players' attention because they are going to push it and pull it but they hit it solid every time. So something in front doesn't really bother them very much. And then you're looking at, you know, one really reachable par five and one unreachable par five that's purely a three-shotter. And then the other two, you know, they might be semi-reachable, although, again, that's almost impossible in today's world when, when guys are flying at 330 with a driver and 250 with a with a three-wood. You can see how quickly that adds up to 600 yards. So... Anyway, um, you know, that's how we start. And then we want, we want a long par four on each nine. We want a short par four, possibly drivable. And again, you're looking for that mix and that balance all while trying to fit it on the topography. And, and the topography is the number one designer. And then we're trying to fit it, fit around with what God's given us. Bill, just a couple more before we let you go. And with all the rules changes set to come in in January, one of the things that I was surprised to hear some chatter about is the idea of fixing spike marks and that, you know, guys now, since they can, will be able to sort of fix everything, are going to be tapping down a lot around the hole. And the, the idea that, you know, guys are going to be tapping around the hole, uh, you know, all through four rounds and, in, in, you know, a couple of practice rounds, is that's going to lead to undulations and, and some untrue rolls as the ball gets closer to the hole. And I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have thought, wow, it's great. Now that you can fix spark marks, that, that's going to make everything roll truer. But I'm hearing there may be some unintended consequences. Does that make any sense? I haven't heard that yet, but I, w I would think that's not going to be as big a deal as it sounds, and I don't think it will take players very long to do it because they know specifically where their line is. I will say that there, I've heard a lot of conversation about the new soft spikes and, you know, how they make the spider spikes that actually do more damage to the green than old metal spikes did. And and so that's that's an interesting thing. I love the soft spikes because you can wear them in a restaurant. You can wear them in the clubhouse. You can go anywhere you want with them. So they're convenient for that reason. But um, superintendents say they do more um, – they make more marks and more indentations around around the, you know, around the hole than, than metal spikes did. So – I hadn't heard that about the um, tapping it down, but I will. Uh, that's something you know. Whenever you bring something up, you're gonna. I'm gonna go ask some of my superintendents and say, "What do you think about that?" So, good, good question. Yeah. Billy, and when you finished a project, I'm always curious. You know, we like to try to keep things on the positive side here, and and I got to imagine you've gotten a lot of really positive feedback at the end of you know all the great redesigns and course designs you've done, but. What, what's the nicest thing someone's ever said to you when you finished a project? You know, one of my favorites is um, a member told me that, that he goes, you've spoiled me. I don't enjoy playing anywhere but my home course anymore. And that's a big compliment that, that wow. they love their course so much that they don't, they don't really enjoy going other places. They're always disappointed. Um, so that's, that's a big one. And we've had a, a couple of really cool things. Um, four of our most recent projects all have waiting lists now, uh, to join the club. And they're obviously private clubs. And I, I work on a lot of historical, so older ones, you know, some, that are from the twenties or even the teens. But four of, of our most recent ones have waiting lists. And so, you know, that's, 
says a lot. That says people are really enjoying, and they didn't prior to the work. And so that says that people are enjoying playing the golf courses. So that's, that, that, that is very rewarding to me when I get the call from a general manager that says, hey, we have a waiting list now. And um, thank you. So um, that's, that's exciting stuff. So remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website or on social media now. Yeah, so we're, you know, we're really active on social media. And it's funny, as winter approaches, I always do a whole of the week um, type post because, you know, we're not, we don't have as many jobs under construction. We don't travel as much in the winter. And it's, you know, kind of bleak and dreary. And you're, you're looking for those green grass opportunities and something beautiful. So we go through 18 weeks of a whole of the week. And at, this year, we're going to do transformations. So we're going to do renovations where, we show the the um, the before we started working and what we finished with, and we're going to do that once a week. So we do that on Twitter, we do it on Instagram, and we do it on Facebook. And then um, obviously our website at www.burdengolf.com. But we're we're very active on social media. In fact, a lot of my clients, um, I've, I'm getting um, certainly getting jobs because of social media. Believe it or not, so it's um. It's one of those things where you're on people's mind, and when it's time for them to renovate, they go, hey, I've seen his work. Let's give him a call, and that's, that's happening for us. So it's, uh, that's exciting. So we, we, we take advantage of the social media and enjoy it. Uh, that's fantastic. Good for you. Well, Bill, it's always great having you as part of the show. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and, and join me again tonight. Uh, I hope you'll come back a little bit later on in the winter as we can start to Get people excited about some of the things that you're going to have uh, coming up in the spring. But uh, thank you for being here tonight. My pleasure. And you guys uh, keep up with the Macklemore Project. It's, it's definitely a resort that people can come play. And um, we look forward to, to showing uh, more of it as we as we get ready to open it up. So thanks, Chris. Thanks for having yeah. me. Absolutely. I look forward to seeing it. Take care, Bill. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Same to you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks. Same to you. Folks, that's the great Bill Bergen, and again, it's bergengolf.com and at bergengolf on social media. Great stuff. Macklemore, I'm telling you, if you haven't seen it, please, I highly encourage you, go online. themacklemore.com is the website, and it looks absolutely spectacular. And when you talk about a high-end resort uh, hotel on the property as well, boy, that's going to be a place. It's just outside of Chattanooga, so really looking forward to going to check out that property before long. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks to Michelle Holmes and Bill Bergen for joining me tonight. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Go right on there. Give me a comment. Let me know what you think of the show. Please check out our our website, nextonthetee.net. On there, you'll be able to see who some of our future guests are going to be. Plus, we link back to our page over on Podbean. I can't thank those folks enough for featuring us right there in their golf section. You can download the Podbean app and take us with you everywhere you go or go online to podbean.com. Again, all of our shows, all of our archive episodes are there for you for free to stream at your leisure. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusha. That show airs live every Thursday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Block Talk Radio. And again, that show, like this one, also available as a free podcast over on Podbean and on iHeartRadio as well. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends who come on and share their stories from their playing days. Plus, 
give us their insights into what's going on around the league today. Plus, we highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. Again, you can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. This show next on the T.net. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you're making this a part of your golf content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday. team in baseball also has the most saves and people who save the most money are winners so start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only ten dollars each these bonds earn a fixed seven percent apy and there's no fees penalties or minimum balance required and they can be redeemed whenever you like you can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds go to worthybonds.com backslash save that's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.